Would you open your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5 this morning with me? Galatians chapter 5. In order to see where Paul is going, we need to remind ourselves of where he has been. He has stated that a person cannot be justified by the works of the law. That is, a person cannot be saved by his own performance. He's only saved through grace, by faith, through grace, in Christ alone. So a person who is depending on his own performance to affect his right standing before God has actually been severed from Christ. Right? Galatians chapter 5, he has fallen from grace. And therefore, that means that as Christians who have been saved by faith, we are not under the law of Moses. It has no bearing on the Christian in the sense that it is binding. We don't have to obey the law of Moses in order to be accepted before God. But obviously the danger in emphasizing this sort of truth that we are free, right? Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set you free, so stop re-yoking yourself to slavery. Stop burdening yourself with the, the yoke of slavery to the law of Moses and to obeying the law that's not going to save you. And the, the danger of going that route is this. We can think that we are not under any law at all. We're not enslaved to anything. And so that means we can do whatever we want. So Paul's trying to avoid the Galatians from this one extreme, binding themselves under the law. And so when he does that, the temptation is to say, well, since we're not under the law, and we're not, then let's go to this other extreme over here which says, I'm not under any law. I can do whatever I want. And what Paul wants to do is get them here in a balanced position thinking, no, we actually do have laws. We do have responsibilities. Um, and so we, he wants to guard against this other mindset. We'll talk about that today. Perhaps an illustration would help. When you're, you were a teenager, did your parents ever tell you before you're going out, have fun, be good? They ever do that to you? And you just want to respond, well, which one do you want me to do, right? You want me to have fun? Or do you want me to be good? I can't do both. Um, being facetious there, you, you can do that. But we did that this weekend. We had fun and we were good, right, Jonathan? That's right. So, in one sense, uh, when you're over your friend's house, though, let's say for an example, you were free from the, the geographical restraint of your parents. They weren't there to say, no, don't do that. Or, yes, make sure you do this. Use your manners, that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that when we're out from underneath the geographical restraint of our parents that we could do whatever we wanted. Because we knew that inevitably right, they would find out about it and ultimately... Our obedience to our parents was a reflection of our obedience to God. And so we weren't out from underneath that restraint completely. And so we have to guard ourselves against going from one extreme that is under the law, this is how God will accept me, to the other extreme, God doesn't care what I do. That's what Paul's going to show us today. That yes, you're not justified by your works over here. You're not. But you were justified to work. That is, to be under the command of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's going to use the rest of the book to guard, to help the, the churches 
in Galatia to guard against this overreaction. Okay, I have been talking about legalism. You cannot be legalistic. You have to obey certain laws in order to be accepted before God. But the other extreme is libertinism or antinomianism. That is, there is no law. I can do whatever I want. And so he wants to guard against that, and that's what he does in these last two chapters. And he's going to show us that both of these sorts of mindsets are really... Both of them are enslavements. One is an enslavement to the law in order to be accepted before God. And the other one is an enslavement to our own flesh. And what he's going to show us here is this freedom he's talking about in the middle is also an enslavement. But it's a different kind of enslavement. See if you can point that out when we look at these three verses here in Galatians chapter 5. We trying to guard against the enslavement of legalism and the enslavement of our, to our flesh. What's the enslavement that Paul suggests here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is the Word of God. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom in an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Christian freedom, Christian freedom from legalism is given to us so that we can serve Christ. Christian freedom is given to us so that we can serve Christ. Paul is going to show us in this passage the wrong way and the right way to use Christian freedom. Okay, the wrong way is going all the way over here saying I can do whatever I want. And the right way is to use it to serve others. He's going to, to show us that Christian freedom is given up to us to serve Christ by serving others. So let's first look at the wrong way to use Christian freedom. Paul's been talking about that. Look at verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So now stop enslaving yourself to the law. You're free. But now, how are you going to use that freedom? And so he's going to show the wrong way to use that freedom, and that is to abuse it by spending it on yourself. Don't use your Christian freedom to spend it upon yourself. Notice verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. We didn't call ourselves the freedom. Did you see that the first part of verse 13? Paul didn't say, you called yourself the freedom. No, he said, you were called to freedom. That is that God came to know you. Right? He said this in chapter 4, verse 9. When, when you came to know God, or rather, should I say, be known by God, that is that God chose us first. Before we chose Him, He chose us, John 15, 16. We loved Him because He first loved us. Right? It's God who is making the initial movement when it comes to our relationship. And, and so this call to freedom is not us. You know, I'm so enslaved and I want to get out of this and so I'm going to come over here and be free. No, it is. We are enslaved and we love it. We enjoy our sin. And God pulls us out of that and says, no, you need to be free. It was God who called us to freedom. And so that means that if God calls us to freedom, we need to use that freedom for His purposes, 
Not for our own. <clears throat> the wrong way to use Christian freedom is to spend it on our own lusts, our own desires. And God's not going to hold me to this standard over here in order to be accepted by Him, so I'm going to spend it on myself and, and live however I please. <clears throat> if we use our freedom in Christ however we please, then we don't understand freedom and we have perverted the freedom that we've been given. So there are two ditches that we want to avoid. We want to avoid the enslavement to legalism, that is to the law, and then the enslavement to our own flesh, libertinism or antinomianism, anti-law. And the focus of this passage is on this second one. We don't want to go too far to the other extreme. He's already spent four chapters talking about that first one, being enslaved to the law. But don't go too far the other way. Notice how we abuse Christian freedom at the end of verse 13, or the middle, I should say. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to the flesh. Here's how we can abuse our Christian freedom. We spend it on ourselves. We use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And the reason that I know this is the main point of the section is because it's given in the form of a command. And what you're going to find in the epistles the letters that are written by mostly by Paul, but other apostles and and so on, are, are is that when you come across a command that usually carries the weight of the passage. It carries the weight of the passage. And so in this passage, there are two commands here in verse 13. There is, first, negatively, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And then secondly, we have the second command at the end of the verse, but through love serve one another. Okay, there's another command that's actually a quotation from, from the Old Testament in chapter uh, 5, verse 14 as well. You shall love your neighbor. So there's technically three commands here. But, but the main command here is do not, use, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What is the flesh? In the New Testament, the word flesh can refer to what you would think, the physical body, the flesh, right? Or Jesus took on flesh and blood. Or... Paul, remember, when he was talking about his own physical body, in fact, turn back to chapter 4, verse 13, and you'll see he uses the same word that's translated as flesh here in chapter 5, verse 13. He uses it to refer to his own body. Verse 13 of chapter 4, But you know that it was because of a fleshly illness that I preached the Gospel to you the first time. What's he talking about there? He's talking about a legitimately bodily illness. So, so the flesh can refer to the body, but that's not what he's talking about in chapter 5, verse 13. He's not talking about a physical bodily condition. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the body. No, he's talking about the other use of flesh in the New Testament. And that has to do with the sinful desires that we have. The sinful desires. Turn back to chapter 4, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. You remember we had this allegory here that Paul gave about Sarah and Hagar. And verse 23, notice how Ishmael was conceived. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise. Now, he's not talking here about through the body because Sarah's son was also born through the body. So that's not what he's talking about when he uses flesh here. Here he's talking about 
the sinful desires of Abraham and Sarah that they schemed together to bring about this son. Sarah's thinking, I'm not going to give birth to a child at this age and you're not getting any younger. So you need to go and and here, take my maid and you have a child through her. And that's what Paul's talking about when he's saying that Ishmael was born according to the flesh, through the sinful human scheming. Now turn back to chapter 5. And look at verse 13 again. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for your sinful human scheming. You can go from one extreme not being under the slavery that comes with trying to follow after the law. You can go from that extreme to this other one over here. Which is to use your freedom as a means to enjoy your sinful human skin, your own fleshly desires. And so what he's saying is that as Christians, we can have the temptation or or we can adopt the mindset that our freedom means that we have a license to sin. That's the, the idea of licentiousness. It is, is a license to do as we please. We can sin. We can sin against God. It's all covered by grace. It's all covered by the blood. I can do whatever I want. Turn to Romans chapter 5 with me, would you? Romans chapter 5. Because Paul addresses a very similar thing here to the church at Rome. Because he was showing them that salvation comes by grace, through faith. And so... Whenever we talk about justification, that is being accepted by God apart from our works, the law, then the danger in our mindset is that it doesn't matter how I live. Since God doesn't count me as righteous based on what I do, I can do whatever I want. Paul wants to address that in chapter 5, verse 20. Notice here he he dismisses the law as being uh, as being the the commander, right? In verse twenty, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Remember Galatians chapter four, chapter three, verse nineteen. Why the law then? Why even have the law, Paul? And Paul says the law was there for transgressions, that is to show us our sin. Because without the law, we don't see our sins as clearly. When we have these pile of commands that we have to obey, we see how sinful and how woefully short we come. We measure up to what we're supposed to be. And so the law came here, he says again in chapter 5, verse 20, for transgressions, so that actually transgressions would increase. Why? So that God's grace could increase. And so where sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. I can't think of a greater time of God's grace that will ever be on the face of this earth than the time of the tribulation. When we are, uh, when we we won't be there. We'll be in heaven. But those who will remain here and who will be saved during that time, there will be some great acts of sin. In fact, the great, the worst acts of sin in human history. And people will be turning on each other. Uh, people will be. Basically, left. I remember Second 
Thessalonians says that the Spirit will be removed, that is the that His hand of of uh, mercy will be removed, not completely because people are still getting saved, but I think there's a sense in which the Spirit's not there as much as He is here now as far as His special blessing. But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And during that time of great sin, there's also going to be great grace. There will be people saved out of the most difficult times in the world, in world's history. And we will be able to praise God for allowing Him to change somebody out of such a wicked culture. And we will be amazed at God's grace. So, if that's the case, if when sin increases, God's grace increases all the more, then here's the potential idea. Look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness. Right? Another great act of sin was when Christ was crucified. And we see the greatest act of grace there in Christ being crucified because that's how our salvation comes. Verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? If God's grace increases with my sin, then why don't I just keep on sinning so that God has a chance to show His grace more? What does Paul respond the obvious answer is, no way. May it never be, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live to it? Still live in it, excuse me. And that's what he's saying here in Galatians chapter 5. You have been freed from that enslavement. How could you possibly go back into that? Because that's all you were doing over here. You were enslaved to your own sin. You were enslaved to the law, yes. It is in a prideful way in order to be accepted before God, and that's not what God accepts. He doesn't accept our works of righteousness. They're all as filthy rags because we have so much sin that God cannot look over justly. The only way He can is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Turn back to Galatians chapter 5 if you haven't already. The danger of trying to move away from a justification by works is to move to a place where we don't care about how we live. We can just live however we please because, hey, God's got it all under control. God's grace will abound. This abuse of Christian freedom will show itself in our in following through on our own lusts, verse 13, using it as an opportunity for our sinful desires, the flesh. It will also show itself in verse 15 with biting and devouring one another. Look at verse 15 with me. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The abuse of Christian freedom is suspended on ourselves by following through on our own lusts, our own sinful desires. And when we do that, you can guarantee that we will have we will have problems. We will have division. We will have destruction of one another. Here Paul is giving a warning for those who may do this, who, who may use their Christian freedom or abuse their Christian freedom to spend it on themselves. That is, if we use it to spend it on ourselves, then this is what it looks like. It looks like biting and devouring one another. This is the opposite of what he's going to tell us to do in verse 14. And that is to show love to one another. 
Because in an effort to attain status before God, through uh, not through works of the law, but works of the flesh, that is, that we're just doing whatever we want, we're enslaved to our own flesh, we end up biting, notice the language there in verse 15, we biting and devouring one another, like savage animals going after each other. We don't care about them, we care about ourselves. And that's what happens when we abuse our Christian freedom. It ends up taking a bite out of someone else who's also probably living in the same way. Not necessarily uh, so, but, but generally we just end up biting and devouring ourselves. Why? Because we are comparing ourselves to other people and we think, you know, I'm more acceptable before God than you. Or, you know, you're doing all these things to please yourself and you're not doing anything to help me. And so both sides of, uh, of the, the conversation are basically about me. It's not about you, it's about me. So I'm concerned about me and so what we're doing is biting and devouring each other. We're eating each other alive. And so Paul says, here's a guaranteed way that we can become ineffective as a church. We abuse our freedom that we have in Christ, spend it upon our own selfish gratifications, and in the process we will tear one another up and the reputation of Christ in the process. Guaranteed way to become ineffective as a church is to to spend our Christian freedom on ourselves. That's the wrong way to do it. let's Let's look at the right way. The end of verse 13 through verse 14. The right way to use our Christian freedom to spend it on others. To spend it to serve others. Look at the end of verse 13. It says, Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That's the wrong way. But, here's the right way, through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. This is the second of the two main commands in the passage. What was the first one? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your sinful desires, your flesh. Here's the second one. Through love, command, serve one another. So to misuse freedom, you spend it on yourself. But to rightly use Christian freedom, you spend it on God by serving others. No longer is number one me. Number one is God. And the way that I serve God is by serving others. Now, this is a bizarre statement if you think about it. If you understand the language of what Paul, that Paul is using here, it, it's really a strange way of putting it. Particularly when you consider the Greek words that are used here. The word serve here in verse 13, through love, serve one another, could be translated a different way. Look back to chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. The very same cognate or or root of this word serve is translated serve in chapter 5 verse 13 is used here in chapter 4 verse 8 and verse 9 see if you can pick out the same root word serve in this verse verse 8 however at that time when you did not know god you were slaves to those which by nature are no god but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? What do you think the same 
root word in the Greek language translated serve in 5.13 is translated here in 4.8. Slaves. And what about 4.9? Enslaved. So turn back to chapter 5 now. The same root word here. Here's what Paul's saying. You were called to freedom. Verse 1. You are called to freedom, but don't use your freedom to enslave yourself to the flesh. Rather, think about this, enslave yourselves to one another through love. Through love, enslave yourselves to one another. That's the idea here. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense. What kind of freedom is that, right? I thought we were removed from slavery. We were if this is the word, unenslaved. We were unenslaved when we came to Christ, so how can we now be re-enslaved? That doesn't make sense. Why is Paul telling us to enslave ourselves to one another? But what we should understand is that freedom is not the opposite of slavery. But really, there are levels of freedom within slavery. Okay, freedom isn't the opposite of slavery. It, it, there's different levels within slavery. We're all enslaved to something. In other words, we should understand our freedom in terms of what our slavery is or how good it is. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Think about a young boy in downtown Detroit who has no means to get food. Okay, maybe he's a teenager. He has no means to get food. He has no job. His family's gone. He has no income. He's forced to beg, right? We would say that in that sense, he is enslaved in a way to his need for his own survival. But now to take someone else in the greater southeastern Michigan area who is not enslaved to beg. He doesn't have to go out in the end of the street and, and hold out a cup or, or something in order to get by. Instead, he has a job. And in that sense, he is free, right? He's free from having to beg. But is he free? Is he completely free? Well, he's not enslaved to that sort of lifestyle. I mean, you could think of this with regard to an orphan or something or, or even someone who is a genuine slave. When they're freed to do something else, they're still not free. They're still enslaved to someone. So a guy who works in a factory or in an office building is still enslaved to what? To his boss, right? He, he has to do what his boss says. And in one sense, yes, he's free from that sort of lifestyle in, in, in downtown Detroit, but rather, he's not free. He's enslaved to use his boss's resources in the right way. He can't just spend the company's money however he wants. I mean, even the guy from the pier who won the lottery, is he free from everything? Does he have no enslavements to anything? Everyone is a slave to something. He still has to pay taxes to the government and so on. So, so here's the point. It's not about, okay, we're removing ourselves, or God's removing us from all freedom or all slavery so that we have unobstructed freedom. That we can do whatever we want, but rather there are levels of freedom. That there was one measure of freedom over here that was really enslaving, that would ultimately drive us to our own destruction. 
Christ is saying, you are free from that, but that doesn't mean you're free from everything. When you came to me, when I drew you to myself, I became your master. And that means you are enslaved to me. And here's how I want you to spend that freedom that you have. Not on self-autonomy. There's no such thing, really, as self-autonomy. That is self-government, where I can just do whatever I want. We are always uh, governed by someone outside of us or something. And, and here we are a slave to our master. And so if the master tells us that we ought to enslave ourselves to others, that's what we should do. And that's what he's saying here in verse 13. Through love, enslave yourselves to one another. This is how I want you to spend your Christian freedom rightly. All that energy that we're using in order to gain status before God or using to spend on our own fleshly lusts now should be used to love one another, to serve one another in love. Notice the reason for the command in verse 14. We know this is a reason because of the first word, for or because the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself now what was all this talk about not returning to the yoke of slavery right verse 1 I thought Paul was saying we weren't going to return to that that if we were seeking to be justified by the law that we were severed from Christ we have fallen from grace and now it sounds like Paul is telling them Look, he's quoting something from the law. Verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled. So that's why you need to, in love, serve one another. Because that's what the law says. Now, Paul, I thought we were free from that, right? Some suggest that Paul was showing the difference between getting in and staying in. That is, in order to get into the Christian faith, we, we can't be justified by our own works. So we have to be justified by grace. But in order to stay in... We have to trust in our own works. But that's completely against what he had said in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where Paul says, if you got in with hearing with faith, that's how you did get in. It wasn't by the works of the law. Then why do you think it's going to change once you're in? Once you're a Christian, do you think all of a sudden you start depending upon your own works to sanctify yourself, to change yourself? No. It's... It's, you're still depending on, on on hearing with faith. That I'm trusting God, your promises, not in myself. And so he says here, and here's what you need to do. In order to use your Christian freedom rightly, spend it on other people because the law says, it's all summed up, it's fulfilled in one word, that, that, that this law actually was designed to draw people to a place where they would give themselves to one another. And here's what the beauty is of justification. That is, salvation. When God saves a person, Old Testament or New Testament, they have been given the ability through the power of the Spirit to be able to do something that the law could never get them to do. To love. The whole law can be summed up in two commandments. You know what they are? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Commandments one through four in the Ten Commandments. 
And number two, this one right here in verse 14. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Commandments 5 through 10. The law could never get us to a place where we actually spent ourselves on other people. But when we are in Christ, when God brings us to saving faith, He gets us to do what the law could never do. To love other people. To serve them. Now we would expect Paul to say that the whole law is summed up in you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But... And I don't think he would disagree with that statement. But he says it in a different way. He actually says the whole law is summed up or fulfilled in this one word, by loving. That is the expression of our love for God. We can all talk about our love for God. We love God. He's great. But, but, but do we? And the way that we know if we do or not is, are we spending ourselves for others? Are we giving ourselves for others? Or is it all about me? And so this really does fulfill the law in the sense that it brings about what the law couldn't do. It allows us to do to express ourselves, our love, our genuine love for God by loving other people. And the way that we love them, notice in verse 14, is by loving them as we love ourselves. We love them as we love ourselves. The way that we serve one another in love is by loving them as we would want them to love us. This really is a difficult thing to do, even for Christians, because it doesn't start with my needs, my wants. Hey, I'm coming to church today and people better be loving to me. They better make me feel good so that by the time I leave, I am in a better mood than I am right now. If that's the way that you come to church, then you are a consumer. And that's not what Christ saved you to do, to become a consumer. All of unbelieving, the unbelieving world is full of consumers. People who are only concerned about themselves. When you come to church each time, you should be thinking, how can I provide for someone else? How can I use my Christian freedom to spend it on someone else? Even if that means that I look foolish or that I feel terrible at the end of the day because I've spent myself for someone else. Even if that means that my pocketbook's lighter because I helped spend myself for someone, someone else. I loved them. I enslaved myself to them. One of the great preachers of the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think helps sum this up for us. This idea of spending ourselves, loving them as we love ourselves. And it's a little bit of a longer quotation, so try to, try to stay with me as I read this. We see them now no longer, that is other people, no longer as hateful people who are trying to rob us of our rights or trying to beat us in the race of money or race for money or position or race for fame. We see them as we see ourselves on the same plane as the victims of sin and of Satan as the dupes of the God of this world, as fellow creatures who are under the wrath of God and hell-bound. Now we have an entirely new view of them. We see them to be exactly as we are ourselves, and we are both in a terrible predicament, and that we can do nothing 
And so both of us together must run to Christ and avail, avail ourselves of His wonderful grace. And we begin to enjoy it together. And we want to share it together. And that's how it works. It's the only way whereby we can ever do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It is when we are really loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. No one's ever hated themselves, right? Everybody takes care of themselves and feeds themselves and clothes themselves and gets, them, gets themselves what they think is best. And so we need to love others like that. Because why? Because we've been delivered from the thraldom of self. We begin to enjoy, and this is when we really begin to enjoy, the glorious liberty of living among the children of God. We've been freed from this, and everybody in here who is a child of, of God has also been freed from this, and we recognize that we're on the same level here. No one of us is better than the other. No one of us is more worthy of God's grace than anyone else here. We're all deserving of His condemnation, but for some reason, He showed each one of us His grace. And if we were only concerned about ourselves, then we're going to sit there and not be concerned about any of the other people in this church, any of the other needs in this church, only concerned about ourselves. So just because we were once enslaved to our sin and estranged from God, now we've been adopted into His family doesn't mean that we can live however we please. right? Think about an orphan that was in a, a very difficult situation growing up, Right, no parents, and, and, and under uh, under a schoolmaster, a difficult leader, perhaps a guardian, and now they've been adopted into a king's family. Does that mean now that that orphan can just live however he or she pleases? And that's where we are in Christ. We have been freed. That doesn't mean we live however we want, as Millard Erickson says in his theology book. God is our heavenly Father, not our heavenly grandfather. And therefore, one of the features of adoption is discipline. Because He does not want to see, in fact, He will not let us go astray. So when we join His family, we start walking over this way where we're getting to the point where we're pleasing ourselves more and more and forgetting about God and others. Don't be surprised when God disciplines us. And that's a good thing because we have our Heavenly Father and He's concerned about us and He demands that we respond rightly. And so when we join His family, when we have been adopted into His family, the Spirit of God resides in us, we can be sure that He won't discard us, that He won't abandon us. But we can also be sure not only that He won't go astray, but He won't let us go astray. He's going to bring us back in. And a lot of times that happens through discipline. There is great freedom in serving others. You may say, well, how can be enslaving myself to other people be very freeing? It doesn't feel free. It feels like I have to do what they want to do. Remember what your life was like as an unbeliever? It's all about you. Every act of goodness that you did, you did it for selfish reasons. But as a free person in Christ, you're now, to free, you're now free to serve God and others like He wants you to. You're free to look out for the needs of others and to seek to meet those needs in a godly way. You could not do that as an unbeliever. You may think that sounds like slavery, but if so, 
I don't think you fully understand what Christian freedom is. What you were saved from. You sound like, if you think that that is an enslaving way of life, then you sound like the children of Israel who are walking throughout the wilderness and saying, I want to go back to Egypt. They don't understand what freedom is, do they? We don't either when we say, having to give myself to serve others is not a very free way of living because I can't do what I want. What I'm telling you is if you want to go back to that sort of lifestyle, that is even more enslaving than where you are now in Christ. And if you think that way, you don't understand God's grace and salvation. God has freed you from your reliance upon your own performance and your desire to pursue your own flesh, your own sinful desires. And there's nothing more freeing than that. So here's an expectation for us this morning. Just because we've been freed from the restraints of our own performance, that does not mean that we are freed from all restraints. Instead, we are moved from a severe form of slavery, the law, sinful desires. Remember Jesus said everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Those are enslaving types of lifestyles. He's removed us from those severe forms of slavery and brought us into an easy form of slavery. Yes, we're still enslaved, but Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is what? It is light. Compared with those two lifestyles, you don't want to be in those, do you? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery over here. You were called, that's chapter 5, verse 1, you were called to freedom, brethren, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for your own fleshly desires, but, that was over here, chapter 5, verse 13, but through love, serve one another. There's nothing more free than giving yourselves, using your freedom to serve one another in love. Let's pray. Father, help us to be reminded afresh of the great freedom that we do have in Christ and the and the, the lightness of the load that we do now carry. It's like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress when he had the the burden of his own sin and enslavement to his own performance removed for him. It didn't mean that he could go on whatever path that he wanted to, but certainly it was a huge load taken off. No longer was he enslaved to this world and its system but now enslaved to You and Your desires. So we thank You for the new or the reminder, things that we already know, that freedom in Christ is not free because Christ had to pay for it. And also it's not completely free in the sense that we are self-autonomous, but it's certainly freedom because we are not enslaved to our own performance, our own desires. Help us to understand this truth and to apply it to our lives. We want to see people here, want to see ourselves be changed by Your Word and be a church that is more and more loving as we continue to grow and understand these truths. Help us in this, we pray. Because the alternative is that we bite and devour one another.
and eventually consume ourselves. We don't want to be ineffective as a church. We want Your Word to change us. And we know that change doesn't happen just during the Sunday morning worship hour. But it happens when we make small changes in our lives and we consider and make commitments to You and to ourselves to to live in a different way. We make small choices. We pray that You'd help us to make those right choices throughout the week. So we consider how we would like to be loved and then use that as a means or barometer by which we love other people. Lord, we, we, when we look at ourselves, we certainly could do a lot more. We recognize that we fall short in this area and we are, recognize our sin and our inability to fulfill this per- perfectly, but we know that through Your Spirit You can help us to change and to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Forgive us for where we have failed You and help us to turn to You for strength. Turn from our sin. Help us from going astray. We're thankful that You never abandon us. May You bring us back on the right road. Help us to be more conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as You strengthen us with these truths, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.